Let's pray together. Holy Father, what do we do with the words of Jesus? How shall we live? Dear God, this is going to be the easiest series of sermon teachings in the world for us to hear. but not heed. And oh Lord, if somehow I get in the way of the process of Your communing with our worshiping hearts, then please hide me. And oh God, help me to practice what I preach. Jesus is coming soon, Father. We know it. But something yet needs to happen inside of us. Could this be the divine catalyst that can open our hearts up to become like our Master. So for the few moments we have, please speak through Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a very tough series to preach. Because I know that all the while I preach, there is a voice inside of me that is shouting, so what are you doing about what you're talking about? It's easy. It's a piece of cake to say the words. I am not naive enough to believe that what you're going to hear today will not be simple to respond to. And yet, living on the doorstep of eternity as we are, if our hearts don't change, If the Spirit of Jesus is not able to do His complete work in us. Such a simple strategy as we will find out. But if He can't do His work, <laughs> what good does it to live on the threshold of His soon coming? <laughs> I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait. So... I want to thank the student who came up in our prayer just a moment ago. I'm, I am wrestling in this prayer. I am saying, God, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? I want to thank this student. Unbeknownst to anything, I've not had this happen before, but she just reached out a hand in the middle of that wrestling and put it on my shoulder. And I, it, it was as if God himself was saying, Stay on the path. Some are upset with what was said last week. You're meddling now. Stay out of our affairs. You stick to your side. You're really going to be upset today. I was going through James White Library a couple weeks ago doing research on this series that is so hard to preach. And I'm going through the reference room and I see some paintings hanging on the wall and so I grab Judy Nelson, our reference librarian, and I said, Judy, please, where in the world did these paintings come from? 
She said, oh, this is Harry on. Well, I know Harry on. Harry and Susan have been friends of Karen's and mine for, uh, for years. He's, a, he's sort of an artist in residence here at Andrews University in the art department. And I'm looking at this wall and I'm saying, Judy, we have got to have these paintings hanging up in Pioneer Church for one of these Sabbaths. And so that's what you're seeing here. I want you to take a good long look at these paintings. You know what? Harry flew to every one of these cities. He flew to New York. That's outside the Metropolitan Museum, New York. He flew to Washington, D.C., took that picture. No, no, I'm sorry. That one is Chicago. That's Chicago. He didn't have to fly to Chicago. San Francisco. San Francisco. Washington, D.C. Now, you're going to have a chance, those of you watching, uh, to look at these more closely because what I want to do for the next few moments, you've never done this before in your life, and I've never done it either, but what we're going to do is go through just like that an entire gospel of the New Testament, just sweep across the summit with a laser focus. We are looking for every shred of evidence in the gospel of Luke, only Luke, that will portray to us Jesus' utter solidarity with the poor. Take your study guide. It's in your, it's in your uh, worship bulletin right now. Ushers, let's put them in everyone's hand who does not have a study guide. Thank you very much. Hold your hand up. I want the children to be able to have these study guides. The ushers actually have two pieces of paper to give to you. One is gray, one is blue. Make sure you get both. We won't get to the blue uh, until a few moments from now. Get the study guide in your worship bulletin. Those of you watching on TV, I'm going to put it on the screen right now. This is our third part in our series, The Repairers of the Breach. And if you will go to our website, www.pmchurch, that's our church, Pioneer Memorial Church, pmchurch.org, click it on the study guide, winter series, you'll see it, new series, click it, three clicks, and you will get the study guide. And so you can actually right now, while you're watching this, uh, have the study guide in front of you the miracle of modern technology. This study guide is going to be a keeper this time because I've gone through, carefully reading the Gospel of St. Luke, 13 pieces of evidence that describe Jesus' solidarity with the poor. You know, we're not going to be able to read all the texts, okay? But let's just take, let's just, just sweep across the pinnacles. The Gospel of St. Luke, I'm in the New King James Version. Hold that study guide out, make sure everybody, just keep, keep your hand up. I'm going to keep going. And so if you didn't get one, just hold your hand up, up in the balcony, do the same so that everybody has one. Intimations of solidarity come even before Christ is born. When Gabriel has just announced to the teenager, Mary, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. Luke's, Luke wants us to know. By the way, you know why Luke is so big on this? Luke is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. Probably in the whole Bible. But in the New Testament, he's the only Gentile writer... Dr. Luke is a physician, and you know that the poor, the poor were the masses responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the first century of the New Testament church. It's the poor coming in. Luke is writing with the poor in mind, and he wants you to know if you're poor, he wants you to know that Jesus has solidarity with you. And so that's why Luke, and you'll see some amazing little twists and tweaks that he does on the story of Jesus. To show Jesus solidarity. Okay, let's go back because this is a teenage girl. She is pregnant. She's pregnant out of wedlock. This is embarrassing. But she's been told by an angel that she is bearing, she is bearing the Messiah. So let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Let me stand right up here by this homeless man in New York City. By the way, a student came walking through here yesterday and said, I have seen that man myself in New York. He's right there always at the corner of the Metropolitan. All right. Okay, this is Luke chapter 1. Mary is singing, and already Luke intimates solidarity. This would be in verse 53. Luke 1, 53, he, he has filled, this is God who's sending the Messiah, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You're going to see this now tug all the way through. Poor, rich, poor, rich, poor, rich. Jesus allies himself with the poor. In fact, you go to chapter 2. Look at the way he was born. We know this. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. She gave birth to a son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, you remember, and laid him in a what? She laid him in... They just found a little container. That was what they were living out of. She found a container and laid him in a manger. If you go to Luke chapter 2, verse 15, you see that the people who responded 
through this good news, are themselves dirt poor, the shepherds. And if you go to the end of chapter 2, Luke 2.24, you're going to discover. Let me go over to this man from San Francisco because that's where he took this picture. Came back to his studio here and painted it. We got a chicken sitting on his head. That's an actual, that's a real life homeless person. Joseph and Mary are so dirt poor, they have no animal to bring. So they must bring, according to the Levitical law, they must bring a bird instead, a pair of turtle doves. So Jesus is born into this solidarity. Solidarity. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. The inauguration of his solidarity. This is the great inaugural sermon. No other gospel picks this up. Only Luke. Because Luke says, I want you to know when he went back to his home church, what he preached on that day. Look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This, this kid is in San Francisco, a panhandler. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, quoting Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. I have come for social action. I have come for the poor. Now, let's go on. Because then he starts teaching it. This is the, this is the glorious Beatitudes. Go to Luke chapter 6. These are the Beatitudes. Solidarity in the great formula for Christian disciples. This is Luke 6 now, verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. The Beatitudes are to the disciples, all right? They're not to the masses, not in Luke. They're directed specifically to the followers of Christ. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now. You are going to laugh one day. And woe, drop down to 24. Woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full. You're going to be hungry one day. So let me show you how you live. Go to chapter 9. Solidarity with the poor. It's all the way through. Come on, Luke. Enough is enough. Nope. He says, I have some more. He said, let me show you about a lifestyle of solidarity. Let me show you what it's like to be the Messiah of the poor. Luke chapter 9. This would be verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed in on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. I'm at Andrews University and I've decided I'm going to be a radical follower of you, Lord Jesus. Let me follow you. To which Jesus mournfully intoned, verse 58, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere. You know what? I have nowhere to lay my head. I get a blanket. I crawl up in a corner. That's where I sleep. You sure you want to follow me? Oh, yes, Lord, I do. Oh, yes, Lord, I do. All right. Solidarity. By the way, this is chapter 10. It says, if you are going to be a follower of mine, chapter 10, verse 4, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. Greet no one along the road. Verse 7, you won't have a house, so stay in other people's houses. A lifestyle of solidarity. Oh, by the way, at the end of chapter 10, Luke, you just won't back up. This is the parable of solidarity. Jesus said, I want to tell you about a good Samaritan. Verse 36, so after, after the, and you know the story well, in verse 36, which of these three, he asked the city slicker lawyer, which of the three do you think is reflecting the compassion of God? And the lawyer said, well, obviously the one who showed mercy on the one in need. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You want a parable of, of uh, solidarity? Turn to chapter 12. In fact, let's not call this a parable of solidarity. Let's call this one a parable of anti-solidarity. Begins in verse 15. Won't read the parable. Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then Jesus tells a story about a rich fool who had everything and he ripped down what he had to build up more because he wanted more. It is an insatiable appetite. Once you are on the pathway to the accumulation of possessions, you will never stop till you die a fool. That night God came to him and said, fool, verse 20. You are dying tonight, and then it's over. Oh, by the way, verse 33, Jesus says, Sell what you have and give alms. This is chapter 12. Provide yourselves money bags which don't grow old. Treasure in heaven. Chapter 14. Luke will not back off. Chapter 14. This is called the call for solidarity. Okay? This is the call for solidarity. Jesus says, you want to do something? You know, I got an email. I have never gotten more emails. This is the truth. I have never gotten more emails from a single sermon I've ever preached in this congregation than from last Sabbath. Students, I mean. I mean students. Student after student after student. I want to thank every one of you. Try to answer all of you. One of the students said, you know what, Dwight? Why don't we, why don't we throw a banquet 
Let's throw a banquet at Andrews University and not get all decked out. Not invite ourselves. Let's invite the poor people to come to Andrews University and we'll feed them a feast. Well, I went back to that student. I said, by the way, you are quite prescient because that, in fact, was Jesus' suggestion. This is chapter 14, verse 13. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you know why? They can't invite you back. That's the whole point. They're too poor to. <sighs> Call to solidarity. Let's move on. Verse 21. Oh, same thing. In a parable, he tells the same thing. The servants go out and say, God, we tried to invite all these people, your rich friends. None of them came. And then the master who represents God says, okay, verse 21, go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, bringing the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Let's move on. Chapter 16. Ooh, boy, I wish I could skip this one because this is the anti-solidarity among the religious. This is verse 14. Now, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. You see, you can be very spiritual and still have your heart being eaten out by greed. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard what Jesus was teaching and they derided him. So there it is. Anti-solidarity among the religious. And now here goes anti-solidarity among the rich. That he told a parable. This is St. Joseph in Benton Harbor, by the way. You want to have a parable of St. Joseph in Benton Harbor? You are going to read it right now. Verse 13, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at the rich man's gate. That is exactly the geographical reality of St. Joseph, the wealthy town, and Benton Harbor, the depressed inner city, the most depressed inner city in Michigan per capita. You have it right there. Go on. Luke simply will not back off because he wants his poor, poor readers to understand the God of the universe has solidarity with them. Okay, we'll just get a couple more here. Oh, we've got to do this. Verse 22 of chapter 18. This is solidarity as a choice. Solidarity as a choice. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, I've got to get to heaven. What do I have to do? Jesus says, simple, piece of cake. This is all you have to do. Verse 22, he said to the young ruler, you lack one more thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then, hey, boy, come follow me. We'll get along just fine. And he walked away because he had many possessions. Now, this is the, this is the solidarity as a choice. Hallelujah. Luke wants us to know that rich people are all not like the rich young ruler. And so in chapter 19, he has another solidarity call with a very different response. Verse 8, then Zacchaeus stood and said to Jesus, look, Lord, I will give half of my goods to the poor because you have solidarity with the poor. I want solidarity with the poor. I want to be your follower. I have a house. Unlike you. I want to give what I, out of my abundance. Okay, one more, no, two more. 21, Luke 21, take a look at this. This, this is dime, no might. Luke 21, verse 1, and Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites and he said, hey fellas, I want to show you, say, take a look at this woman. Look at her, look, 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 look. She just came to church, emptied her purse in that offering plate. Watch this, guys. This woman, I tell you truly, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in everything she had. Inescapable point. You want to be my follower? Worship the same way. Oh, Dwight, you're getting awfully impractical now. I don't think I'm going to listen for the rest of the way. Well, it's okay. You don't have to listen. Just stay here, though. Luke chapter 23, final one. He's buried. Oh, this is, this, is, this is amazing. He is buried and resurrected in that solidarity. Nothing changes from his birth. Verse 50, now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. Hold it right there. Luke has neatly made sure the story does not call Joseph rich. Matthew calls him rich. But Luke has set up a tension between the rich and the poor. And he's not going to let this friend of Jesus come across as the oppressive rich. And so he leaves out the rich. And he says, he was just a good man. He was a just man. He had a grave and he put Jesus in the grave. Luke, from stem to stern, is passionate that we see, in fact, would you fill this in in your study guide, please, that we understand the 
testimony of history is clear. Jesus was the champion. Write it in, please. Jesus was the champion. The champion of the poor. Unrelenting advocate and friend. That's what the poor found in Jesus. They say, yes, this God, this Messiah. Wow. Not, on, not just in word, but in deed. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen? If, if we are followers of His, and I think we've all declared ourselves to be Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a follower of Christ Jesus. If we are followers of His, do you suppose like the, Samaritan, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, He's going to turn to the likes of you and me and say, Hey, go thou and do likewise. He said, Oh, come on, Dwight. Times have changed. I mean, we don't have poverty like they used to have it. Oh, please come again. The latest Time magazine, I'm holding it right here in my hand. You can't tell a thing from this cover because that woman's doing yoga on the cover. But inside this Time magazine, let me show you this. Inside a spread on the new homeless, the new homeless in America. Watch this. I'm going to share some stats with you. Some of you are going to scribble this down in the blank spots you have there. Not fill in, but just uh, scribble these notes down, will you? Listen to this. The U.S. Conference of Mayors, just this year, at the turn of the year, have announced to us that the demand for homeless shelters has spiked 13% since last December, a year ago. Whoa. New homeless. Who are these new homeless? Listen to this. There's been a subtle change in the complexion of the homeless population in the United States. Our, our, our usual conception is hardcore, unemployed, single men. That's how we are. Yeah, those are the homeless. Wrong. They now have found that living in the shelters now, one in five residents of shelters now holds a full or part-time job. Full-time job. And I'm in a shelter. What's up? These people, waiters, security guards, laborers, other low-paid workers, once earned enough to pay their rent and have been squeezed between high housing costs and stagnant wages because you've got greedy landlords who are raising the rent and driving the poor out. Now, so we have some landlords in this church. Families are now... Here's another fact. Families are now the fastest-growing segment of the homeless. We thought they were all the singles. No. Families now, whole families are having to take up in shelters. Get this. This is the fourth year in a row that we have had no jurisdiction in the United States except for Puerto Rico. Those of you from Puerto Rico, God bless you. Except for PR. No jurisdiction in the U.S. where a person on minimum wage can afford to rent a one-bedroom home at fair market value. You just can't afford it. That's why Time Magazine, would you write this in, calls the new homeless in America the working poor on a losing streak. The working poor on a losing streak. Wow. Uh, stories. You've got, you got to get this issue. I mean, story after story after story. I want to read, you know, Jan Wren, she's one of our own here. Jan and Bruce Wren, faculty here. Uh, Jan is. And uh, so she wrote a piece in collaboration with Herb Helm. You know Herb Helm? Also one of our faculty here. They put a book together that uh, Herb edited, Many Voices, and Introduction to Social Issues. Listen to this. You want to know who the poor are? Let's put this on the screen. Millions of Americans with full-time working family members are poor. Being employed does not guarantee escape from poverty. In the mid-1990s, oh, this is, will surprise you, the working poor were almost equally dis distributed among city, suburbs, and rural areas. Most, that would be 62%, had graduated from high school. And we thought they were all flunkies. No, they've been through high school. Most, read on, most were white. And half, about half, were married. You know, I had some people come in last Sabbath. I mean, come through the line. You know, two separately. <sighs> Come on, Dwight. I mean, please, you got people here who aren't carrying their load. What am I supposed to do? Lift the load for them? They're lazy. They're, they're, not, they're not getting work. They're just... Uh, what's the word? Uh, they are... Uh, well, he didn't use the word, so I don't have to try to think of it. But uh, what's, this, what's, a, what's a bloodsucker? What is a bloodsucker? Leech. They are leeching. They are leeching. Off of society. Kind of reminds me of Ebenezer Scrooge. Aren't there enough poor houses for the poor? I could pay my taxes. You asking me in this sermon to give more? I want you to listen to this from Jan Red, just in case you're inclined to think that way. This is Jan again. Some argue that the working poor are lazy and that if they had worked harder and longer, they would not be poor. No, 
However, studies have shown that most of the working poor would remain poor even if they worked 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. Thus, working more hours is not a solution to poverty because the problem is low wages or jobs that do not provide full-time employment. At the end of the 1990s, ooh, get this, a minimum wage earner paid $15.15 per hour would earn $10,300 per year. This is far below the $16,660 poverty threshold for four. You can't make it. No wonder time calls in the working poor on a losing streak who earn just enough money to be ineligible for some government assistance. <laughs> what do we do for them? Are they, are they my neighbor, Lord? Are, are they? No, fortunately, not mine. You know, the media have poked fun. Did you follow this the last few weeks? They've been poking fun at a Christian group out of Pennsylvania who've been talking about our SUVs, our gas-guzzling SUVs, and they've been saying, you know what you need to decide before you buy an SUV? What would Jesus do? You remember that? And the media's just had a heyday. With, oh, shall we ask Jesus about this? Shall we ask him about that? Well, let's ask the question. Fill it in in your study guide. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do about the poor? What would he do with the economically disenfranchised, the, the, the financially marginalized, the socially alienated? What would Jesus do if 12 miles down the road from Benton Harbor, he was the one on a campus and in a congregation and in a community? What would Jesus do? Let's ask him. Let's go. Let's go to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We'll just, that'll be all we take from Luke. It's just Luke 6. So Luke 6. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. What would Jesus do? This is Luke 6, verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. Okay, if you are a Christian, this is for you. Blessed are you poor. Do you know how this reads? Uh, how this reads in the Greek? It goes, blessed the poor. Bless the poor. They're blessed. Blessed are you. Those of you who are poor, relatively speaking, and you understand that even your poverty is rich compared with the world, but relatively speaking, you sense your, your uh, poverty. Good news here. You are blessed. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Drop down to verse 4, 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your full consolation. What is up with this dramatic, in-your-face, almost contrast between Jesus' attitude toward the poor and His attitude toward the rich? Well, let's just get this straight right here at the outset. Jesus is not down on rich people as people. You understand that? The rich are as much recipients of the grace of God are as the poor. In fact, may, might I remind you, some of Jesus' best friends were rich. Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, Abraham, Solomon. These were all my friends. He called Abraham my friend. And I also remind you that the rabble, poor and impoverished rabble, were the ones screaming bloody murder. They turned on Jesus at the end. So it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, the question is not who's friends with who here. The issue is, obviously, God loves all His children alike. But the compelling issue, write this in your study guide, the compelling issue is the compelling issue is human selfishness. Human selfishness. I looked down at that study guide, I realized we skipped something. <laughs> you had me going there for a while. I want to go back to it. Kleber is scrambling right now. I want to go back to that liberation theology. Because we have some young scholars here who know about liberation theology. What is liberation theology? These are the people, particularly in inner America, and many of you are from inner America and South America, these are theologians who have championed solidarity with the poor. I want you to catch this. I want to go back to it. I'm quoting from a book written by two liberation theologians here. This would be Cloak. Clodovis Boff and George Pixley in their book, The Bible, The Church, and the Poor. Watch this. Following Jesus, and I believe they're right. Now, I don't subscribe to everything liberation theology stands for, but following Jesus demands solidarity with the poor, service to the needs of the humblest, and readiness to suffer persecution that will follow from these actions. The point the men are making is, look, at if you put yourself on the line and you become an advocate for the poor, you may suffer persecution among your social circle. The people in your social circle, they may say, you know what? She is just getting a little bit too pointed on this. He ought to drop this. You're going to get opposition. And we're going to note in a moment why. 
You're going to run into opposition, but just please remember this. Forget liberation theologians. The truth of the Gospel of St. Luke is that Jesus lived in solidarity with the poor. And by the way, I found an author who lived a hundred years ago who actually said what they just said and said it first. Let's put that on the screen. This would be welfare ministry. Christ's chief work was in ministering to the poor, the needy, and the ignorant. In simplicity, He opened before them the blessings they might receive and thus arouse the soul hunger for the bread of life. Christ's life is an example. Forget the liberation theologians. Christ's life is an example for everyone who follows Him. Do you follow Jesus? His life is an example. That's why the solidarity for the poor is not an option. It's not like you're getting a degree here and let's see, this will be an elective. I think I'm going to make uh, solidarity with the poor an elective in my life. It cannot be an elective. In a moment, you're going to see that you won't be saved. You won't be saved without it. All right. So. The compelling issue is... Ah, here we are. The compelling issue is human selfishness. Thank you, Pastor Esther. That's why I assign you the front pew. You are so sweet. Thank you very much. She's very thoughtful. She always has been. All right. Now, I want you to go back to the first side of this page because Clever's going to find this now. I just want to fill this in. I want to make sure you get this here. So what would Jesus do? We left it out. Jesus, Christ's chief work. There it is. I tell you, these guys in the booth are wonderful. Christ's chief work was in ministering to the poor. Write it in. The needy and the ignorant. Christ's life is an example to all his followers. Write in the word example. That way you won't forget it. This is not liberation theology. This is a woman who also, like Jesus, had a solidarity with the poor. Oh my, she could just get ignited on this subject. So it's okay if you and I get excited once in a while about it too. Now you turn the page over on the study guide. The compelling issue, obviously, is human selfishness. Because you see, when Jesus says, Blessed are you poor and woe to you rich... Here's what he's doing. He's drawing a dramatic contrast between humility and pride. Blessed are you dirt poor, for you have nothing in life left to be proud of. And God one day is going to give you everything. Hang on, you're going to get everything. And woe to you filthy rich, for you have everything in life you're proud of. And God one day will leave you nothing. That's the point. He's pleading with the hearts of both the rich and the poor. In clarion tones, he's saying to the rich what he's going to say to the rich young ruler just a few days later. He's going to say how hard, this is Luke 18, 24, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's almost impossible. He says it. Why? I'll tell you why. The needy, now please don't misunderstand me, but get this. The needy are nearest to salvation. Blessed are you poor. Let's be clear, poverty will save no man or woman. By the way, neither will riches. But an impoverished life is a shortcut to an impoverished heart. That's the point. When you've got nothing left, you are casting around for anything that will save you. And that's why the needy are nearest. Blessed are you poor. Don't think you have to become rich in order to be saved. You don't. You're poor. Stay poor. Blessed are you poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you rich. You have too much. They're holding you. They're distracting you. Please let go. Woe and blessed. But by the way, all of us rich or poor... All of us receive the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Would you drop down to verse 30? This is Luke 6. So you're already there, but just thank you please for dropping down to uh, verse 30. Jesus is speaking now. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He's going to speak these words to you right now. Give to everyone who asks of you. Stop it right there. Ladies and gentlemen, write it down. Give to everyone. Everyone. Poor or rich, whether you are poor or rich, give to everyone who asks of you. Asks of you. There are no economic categories here. They're not now. Now, if you're rich, you do it. Or no, it's everybody. If you are a follower of mine, give to everyone who asks of you. Do you know why? Because nothing cuts to the heart of human selfishness. The spirit I have, and I tell you, I am, I am riddled with this. I always want to cling to. I cling to. I want to hold on. Nothing cuts to the heart of human selfishness than the command to let go. Just let go. 
I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill that selfishness in you, Dwight. I'm going to kill it. The only way I can kill it, you have to let go. And I'm going to give you a rule, Dwight. For the rest of your life, give to everyone who asks of you. Telephone. Raising money for a fire department. Mail. March of dimes. Church. Plate goes in front of you. Give. Ladies and gentlemen, this is embarrassing. This is, this is, this is shameful. Come on, Luke, you left something out. There are qualifications. I am not going to give a penny of my, my meagerly earned possession. I'm not going to give a penny. Until I am certain that this man is truly needy, that I am certain she's going to spend it the way I think she should spend it, and I am certain this organization is in fact reflecting my values. I'm not going to give a penny. Jesus gives not a single solitary loophole. He says, you just give. You understand me? You give. Because Dwight, you have a huge problem. You're one of the most self-centered people I know. And I'm going to, boy, I'm going to break your fingers. Break your fingers. You quit hanging on to that. Let go. You give. Anytime somebody comes to you, you give. Give. It's the only way I can cure you. You are so selfish. Give. Oh, Jesus, did you have to do this? Give. And by the way, you're saying, oh, but I can't give because it says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And I'm not cheerful right now, so I can't give. I want to quote another text to you. Hezekiah, fake it till you make it. You've read that in Hezekiah. Fake it till you make it. What's that mean? That means there that to get this started, to break the fingers that are clutching those few little paltry pennies, you have got to just do it anyway. Force yourself. Force yourself to give. Force yourself. I know, I just was reading it late last night. 1 Corinthians 13. If Even if I gave all my goods to the poor, but I don't have love, nothing, zero, nada, worthless to me. So I know. But you're not going to start out happy. You're not going to be a cheerful camper to begin with. Just give. Fake it till you make it. I'll take care of the heart, Dwight. You just take care of the hand. huh? You just put the hand in, put the hand out. You know what I do with Salvation Army people? I'm so... What is the... Why are they always around at Christmas time? I mean, when I should be feeling happy buying gifts for all my family, spending all that money. They're always... Ding, 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 ding. You know what I do? I just look the other way. I just I say, well, you, know, you can't get... How do I know? You know what? I'll bet you this guy is stealing out of this thing. I mean, I don't know where this money's going. I'm not going to give to that. Give to everyone who asks of you. Ding, ding, ding. You give. Guys, do you see what God is doing? He doesn't put a single qualification. He just says, give, give, give. If you're going to India, give. You're going to Chicago? And you're on your way into Macy's and there's somebody on the sidewalk. I want to tell you, Jesus says, if you want help for your selfishness, reach into that purse or wallet and you give. You give. All right. Is, this, is there something else to fill out here? Okay, let's fill it out then. According to Jesus, nothing is so powerful an antidote to selfishness as... Unselfishness. Unselfishness. Write it in, please. Fake it till you make it. Just give. Give to everyone. By the way, oh, you got to catch this. Verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom for the same measure that you use. It will be measured back to you. Jesus said, I want to tell you something, boy. Girl, I want to tell you something. If you have lived a stingy, selfish life, I'm just letting you know, when you come up in the judgment, it's going to be a stingy, selfish verdict, verdict, I promise you. You live stingy, you get stingy. You live selfish, you get selfish. You live selfless, you get self, you get selfless in the judgment. And it was right here, ladies and gentlemen, that the bing 
the light bulb went on in my mind. You know why? Because ever since last Sabbath, I have been ruminating, I've been brooding. How could that quotation we shared be so unequivocal? It just can't be. There's got to be a trick. You know, it's just, it's, 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 it's uh, hyperbole. It really can't be true. And then all of a sudden, I saw it. Now, you remember last Sabbath? Uh, Matthew chapter 25, you remember that Jesus says, I'm going to come and then I'm going to take all the people of earth. They're going to be sheep and goats. You remember that? And he's going to say to the saved, you know, come on into the, come on in, you blessed of my father. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. Come on in. And they're going to say, whoa, Jesus, I never saw, we, we hoped to have seen you. We never saw you. And then Matthew 25, verse 40, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, when you walked by me, you Stopped and you look straight in my eyes. I saw you walking by. You stopped. And you reached in. And you were going to buy yourself something in Walmart. But you reached in. And you gave to me. You did it. You did it. Come on in. Your heart beats like mine. Come on in. And, of course, the lost is the other way around, as we all know. No need to live that dreary part of the parable. But here's the quotation. Now, it, it, it clicked me. Let's put it up on the screen. Desire of Ages. Thus Christ on the Mount of Olives pictured to His disciples the scene of the great judgment day. Hold on now. And He represented its decision, the final judgment, as turning upon one point. Woe, when the nations are gathered before Him, there will be but two classes, and their eternal destiny will be determined by what they have done or have neglected to do for Him in the person of the poor and suffering. Can you believe that, ladies and gentlemen? Look at this guy. This guy, I've seen him before. Jesus is going to ask me, what did you do to him? What did you do? And I said, you know, this is too harsh. I mean, how can you make a judgment based on that? And then it hit me. What, what, what is the issue of the judgment? The issue of the judgment is this. Who's your God? Isn't that it? Who is your God? That's, the, that's all God cares about. Because you, you don't want to come home here. If I'm your God, if I'm the God here and you're not comfortable with me as God, you don't want to come home here. Trust me, because it's just kind of, this is my place. The issue of the judgment is who's your God? The rich young ruler says, I've kept all ten commandments. I'm a Sabbatarian. And he looks into the face of that young boy and he says, boy, you broke the first one. You have two gods. You need to decide which God you're going to stand before in the judgment. So sell everything you have, give to the poor. Come on. We can go together. Who's your God? You see, the issue is selfishness. Do I worship me? That's my life of selfishness. Am I pursuing my education for the sake of financial accumulation for me? Never mind poverty 12 miles up the road. I'm going to get a great career. And boy, I'll tell you someday, I'm going to make a boku bucks. Do I build my house for the, for the sake of my excessive desires and keeping up with the Joneses? I don't understand it. In this community, the houses are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Our families are getting smaller and the houses are getting bigger. Do I spend money not for the sake of serving others, but for the sake of gratifying myself? Do you need a house that big, Dwight? Do you need a car that expensive? Do you need a vacation that lavish? Do you need a lifestyle that excessive? Do you really need it? The issue is selfishness. In the judgment, he'll just ask one question. What would you do for the poor? Because what I do or do not do reveals my heart. I can't help it. You know, it makes the judgment a snap, by the way. You used to worry about the judgment, didn't you? You used to think, you know what? How, I mean, how are the angels going to know what was on in my heart? What if God just says, well, I read his heart. Don't let him in. No, the judgment is a snap. Because the issue is not what is in your mind. The issue is what has been the track record of your life. It's what everybody can see. It's not the secret stuff. Oh, yeah, that'll come to judgment. It's what they can see. 
So that Mother Teresa comes up in the light of the judgment. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, you know what? That woman does not understand the truth as I understand the truth. But you're going to see, you're going to hear God say, you know, Mother Teresa, in as much as you did it to the dregs of Calcutta, you have done it to me. Woman, come on in, you blessed of my father. And then according to Isaiah 58, there are going to be others standing in that line and say, hey, wait a time out. Cleansing of the sanctuary. Seventh day Sabbath. And he's going to say, did you think that's the fast? Did you think that's a passion I had for you? Your orthodoxy is bankrupt without your orthopraxy. Our teaching last Sabbath. You're out of here. You are out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, the issue is selfishness. The issue is character development. God has no other way to make sure that I develop the heart of Jesus than to say, okay, boy, every time somebody asks anything of you, I am commanding you, you give it. You don't ask what they'll do with it. You don't, you don't have to give a lot. You just give every time. That little widow, corrupted ecclesiastical system, and she empties her little threadbare purse when she could have said, you know what, the way this church spends the money in Washington makes me sick and I am not giving a thing. Jesus said, forget the rich. Didn't even dent their wallets. She gave everything. Take a lesson, boys. Did you see that girl? Take a lesson. Watch that woman. That's what solidarity with the poor is all about. Whoa. That's why in the judgment, and I better get this in, get ready to sit down here, the judgment's defining question, what did you do for those more needy? That's all they're going to ask. I know you're poor. By the way, I got a note from somebody last week. Dwight, do you understand how many poor people there are in Berrien Springs? Here you are preaching about Benton Harbor. Oh boy, don't miss next Sabbath. In fact, listen, you ought to miss next Sabbath. If you do not want your conscience aroused and your heart stirred up with some stories I'm going to share... There are a lot of churches in this community. They're all over. Find another church. Do not be here next Sabbath. If you know poor people, tell them to be here next Sabbath. Tell the poor to come. There are people on this earth more needy than you, no matter how poor you are. Give to everyone who asks. All right, according... Okay, that's, Isaiah, that, that's, that's why we have Isaiah 58, our theme passage for this series. I want, God, this is the new living. I love this. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. I want you to give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Oh, and if you do these things, God cries out, yourself, you're going to make it in the judgment. You're going to make it. Hallelujah. Your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Are you stuck with a hard-hearted, selfish heart? You give and your healing will come. Your godliness. Hey, what we behold, we become. You must have been following Jesus. Godly means godlike. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. You won't have a thing to worry about in the judgment. Because in as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Apparently, fill this in, nothing is so powerful an antidote to selfishness as unselfishness. Between services... My friend Peter Swanson gave me this sentence, and so we've got a screen for it, and I'm going to put it on. A hundred years ago, these words were written, Continual giving starves covetousness to death. That was it. That was the whole point. That's it. You now have the point of the sermon. We can go home. Continual giving starves covetousness to death. Give to everyone who asks you. You want to get over that selfishness of yours? Give to everyone who asks you. Want to get over that selfishness of yours? Give to everyone. I know you're a student here. Give to everyone who asks you. Give to everyone. That's what the rabbi taught us. Give to everyone who asks you. God isn't being mean. He's not being stingy. He's not being hard-hearted. Nope, he just said, I'm so desperate, Dwight, to save you. Please, get my heart in yours. Become like me. Give to everyone. Give to everyone who asks you. Where can I find a heart like Jesus? Go to the cross. There He is, the champion of the poor. We sing that little chorus. Look, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Let's put it on the screen, please. The champion of the poor. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Just go. You know, there is where the champion of the poor died. He died for the poor. He died for the middle class. He died for the wealthy. He died for us. If I went to the cross every day, looked at that picture and said, Jesus, give me a heart for solidarity with the poor, I promise you, He will give it to you.
Mother Teresa one day was being visited by a rich American who was absolutely dumbfounded with her fierce commitment to the dregs of Calcutta. Lady, why do you do what you do? And she had a simple answer to him. She said, oh, sir. She said, sir, we are a contemplative order. First, we meditate on Jesus and then we go out and look for him in disguise. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Where is Jesus in disguise in Benton Harbor right now? It's warm here. I'm comfortable. You're happy. Dinner's on the way. Where is Jesus now in Benton Harbor? I want to close by your taking out a blue sheet that was in your bulletin and, and holding this in your hands. You want to see the eyes of Jesus. Just look in this sheet. Just look in this sheet. His eyes will look out of this sheet at you. And I want to invite my friend Althea Hutchinson to come up here. Althea is the director of Andrews University Outreach to Benton Harbor. I am so proud of this young woman. She's a junior from, she's a junior from uh, Maryland, graphic design major. And God has made you the head of this ministry to the streets and the neighborhoods of Benton Harbor. You've got a great team. <laughs> Let me see. Make sure we have this on. Yep, that's not. I want to ask you, uh, this six years ago, somebody was sitting here in church and we were sharing the line, we must come to the place where what breaks the heart of God breaks our hearts too. And two of our university students, Heidi and William, went out and started this ministry. You've inherited the ministry. What's, refresh our memory again. What is the vision of Ben Harbor Street Ministries? Okay, our vision basically... Uh, let, let me just uh, get a, a microphone working here. We can do this. Maybe the batteries. Batteries gun up. We don't have to have that one. Let's do this one. Is there anybody in the booth at all? Okay. I, I think there's somebody up there. Yeah. Let's do this, uh, Althea. Well, what's the vision? Why, why do Andrews University students heading to Benton Harbor every Sabbath afternoon? Okay. Basically, our mission is based on developing relationships with people um, and building up our community. Okay. Um, we're also trying to meet needs through our relationships. Spiritual, sp spiritual needs? Spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs. Physical needs as and well. And that only happens through the relationship. We feel that that's the most important way. You're talking about giving in your sermon. Yeah. We're going to give of ourselves. Um, put a smile on someone's face. Hold the hand of the elderly as they're sitting in their bedsides. You know, pick up a child, put them on your shoulders, Good make them you. laugh, make them smile. And it's through that relationship and that consistency of getting to know them that you share with them Jesus Christ and what they've done for oh, you. Hallelujah. That's exactly <laughs> what Jesus is trying to yeah. teach us. Now look at 3 o'clock Sabbath afternoons in front of Lampson Hall. We all show up. We got about, a, what, between 100 and 150 students going like down. 100. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Now, how do we get down there? How do we get down there? Mm -hmm. um, by the bus. Where do we get the bus from? Uh, Andrews University Transportation. So they got a bus. Yes. And you own a little 15-passenger minivan. We do. Now, the bus is costing you how much a week? Um, it can run up to $179 per week. So just to get the kids down there, it's costing us $179 to get down there. Yeah, About 5000 a year, you were telling me um, yesterday? It can run up to like three, from like 4000 a year, okay. roughly. So Pioneer is trying to help out by... Pioneer has donated like $3,000 this semester and that has donated like $1,500 oh, the, the previous Good. year. All right. Now, do you need any more? I mean, is, it, do we have to, is 100 too much now? Do you need more volunteers? We need more. Definitely. We need more. We want to grow. We want to expand. We want to reach more. There's so much more territory that we haven't even touched yet. What we're doing is just hitting five blocks up and five blocks down from the white building where we're working. Okay. But there are tons of apartments, complexes. There's a, an apartment that's uh, right across from the Boys and Girls Club that has more than 1,500 people in there that we haven't reached. So many doors that we haven't touched. Um, there's the River Terrace Departments. We used to go there for the Harry Mahondo series, and we would pick up Charles and his wife and all of them. And one of our academy students came up to me just last week and said, well, who's going to the River Terrace Departments? And I said, no one. We don't have enough volunteers to cover no that. We don't have enough volunteers and enough people um, that are willing to drive mm -hmm. or to spread out so that we can reach more territory. We're not reaching enough. And... Um, God has been doing awesome things in our ministry, Hallelujah. but he's calling us to excellence. He's yeah. calling us yeah. to do 
more and we need your hands we need um, you to just really give of yourself so if I've had a great dinner at the cafeteria <laughs> and I'm done by 2 o'clock or 2.30 I still have enough time to get to 3 o'clock mm-hmm. right in front of Lampson Hall right now because of the transportation I made an appeal in First Church and I want to make an appeal to the faculty who are here and community members. We desperately, as you heard Althea say, we desperately need cars. We need transportation. We need people to say, look, I don't know about going door to door. I'm not real good at that. But I want Jesus' solidarity with the poor. And I'd be willing to drive young adults down into, that, into those neighborhoods. And so if you are an adult, Althea, and you, you own a car, it would be alright for them to just show up and we'll get people to sit in those cars and we can go down together. Just show up. And not only that, like our ministry is a grassroots ministry. You know, we're just a, an open pot of fresh soil. You can come in, give us your new ideas, and we want to grow with you. We want to see you plant your seeds, and we watch them grow together. Um, not so much you come to the ministry and we tell you what role you want to fit in. You come in. So I can watch. I can kind of hang around, watch, not feel comfortable with all of that, and, and just find a niche. You don't have to a Bible study. You don't have to be a theolo- um, theologian. Yeah. Theologian. You right. don't have to yeah. be they are strange, anything. Hard to say. <laughs> I mean, you could study anything. We're so diverse. I mean, and you make such a difference to the children, to yeah. the elderly, to everyone. Um, it makes a great difference. Um, Michael, that was here for the Harry Mahondo series, yeah, yeah. was baptized here in this Hallelujah. church. Hallelujah. You know, he's that changed. Day. You know, a year and a half ago, he was kicking, spitting, fighting, this, that, and the other. And now you go into his home and he's all over you. He's hugging you. He's telling you about how his day was. There's just so many miraculous stories of what God can do when you let yourself be open, Amen. when you are willing to have God Break your heart for the poor and the needy. And there's just so many... I want to tell you, it is such a humbling honor for me to stand on the platform beside this woman. Here is a young adult who has enough to do to get through school, who is giving a major segment, Althea, of your life in leadership during the week, putting the ministry together for Sabbath. And I want to, while Althea, you're still here, I want to invite every student who has a who is wanting to have a heart for the poor. Look, you can't do everything. You can't give a penny because you don't have a penny. You can give of your time. This afternoon at 3 o'clock, I'm going to be there. I'm going to invite, if there are adults, faculty members, and community members who would come and join me, let's just fill our cars up, guys. Let's just, let's just go. Now, adults, we're not going to go week after week. I understand that. Let's, just, let, let's go down this week. Let's see what Althea and her team are doing. And students, you can go. You can go every other week. Maybe not every... So if I came every other week, there'd still be something for me to do. There'd still be something for you to do. Um... Of course, you know, consistency and commitment makes a long-term difference. But even if you just come just to try it out, and we have so many different needs. We have um, the Buddies program has only one leader. We're suffering. Um, Last week, there were only five children, five children, because we have so few volunteers going out to the homes and picking up the children to bring to the program. Um, TASK, our tutoring after school program, they're suffering too. They only have five volunteers. Last year they had 50, reaching more than 50 children, Mm. helping them with their homeworks. We're not having as much. Our numbers are decreasing and we need to increase for Christ. God bless you, Althea. Folks, look, the woman is, she is weighed down with the need. Let's help. Let's do it for Jesus. And the Lord... (laughs) Bless you abundantly. Thank you so much. How about a hand for uh, Althea and for what and our leadership team? Thank you very much. God bless you. Well, if we're going to make the three o'clock appointment, we got to go. So uh, this blue sheet—I <laughs> know, I know—the blue sheet. I, I wish you would take this blue sheet because not everybody's going to go Benton Harbor. Now you might want to go this week just to get a feel for a ministry that our, you know, I'm so proud. There are not many universities in our community of faith who are doing what our kids are doing. I am so proud of them. Uh, you know, would you take this sheet? Put a, little, put, put a little star here by Benton Harbor Soup Kitchen. If you want to go down just once a month, you don't want to go down every Sabbath afternoon, want to go on a Sunday, Sarah Singh sitting right here. Give her a call. It's the soup kitchen. You, you don't even have to stand in line to ladle the soup. If you want to play a guitar, there's a piano there. If you want to sing, sit at the table. Would you put a little star by Community Service Center right up here in the center panel? Because we don't even have to go to Benton Harbor. Do you know what? The poor of Benton Harbor are coming to our Community Service Center here and saying, do you have anything that might help me survive? The new homeless are coming here. Chris Proctor and her team are putting up a a brand new 
people-focused ministry for, for the journey into the third millennium. In fact, in the bulletin there is a, a green little insert. You will see it there in your bulletin. Would you take that insert home? That insert will show you all the ways, all the ways you can become involved in our community service ministry. You can stay right here in town. Oh, the jail ministry. Did you see the last, no, two SMs ago, one of our young co-eds here at Andrews University wrote a, wrote a piece called 60 Minutes in Jail in which she described the effect of going into the Berrien County Jail on behalf of the Lord Jesus. He said, look it, it doesn't say what I was in for that you visited me. It just says I was there in every incarcerated soul and you visited me and you did it to me. Ah, Project P we'll talk about next week. PMC Social Work Ministry on the last panel. Read your Catherine Smith. 374 applications for financial aid just this last year and the list is growing. Can I get involved? Can I do something? That's the point, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot come to this kind of exposure to Jesus' solidarity with the poor and not do something. If you do nothing... You shouldn't have come today. If you do nothing, you shouldn't have come today. Because now you know this is an issue of eternity. Not just theirs, but yours and mine as well. Please, do something this week for the poor. Let us stand as we pray. Oh, God, a world crying all around us, please don't let us turn a deaf ear to those cries. The homeless on the platform today, the needy around us tomorrow, please, dear Jesus, do something so that having heard, we will heed and we will follow. In the name of the Lord Jesus, let us go forth. Amen.